0: Hey folks, Jeff Salzman here, and welcome to The Daily Evolver and to another edition of The Shrink and the Pundit, the ongoing conversation where I, Jeff, the Pundit, talk with Dr. Keith Witt, integral psychotherapist extraordinaire, about all aspects of living as an evolutionary. In this episode, Keith and I address a topic very relevant in our time of political polarization, and that is, can we really be friends with our enemies? Our conversation was sparked by a letter that Keith sent me about a dilemma he was having. As you often do, you wrote me a letter about what we might talk about, and I, once again, was very stimulated by your letter. I love when you write me letters, Keith. Oh) And I love this one because my body. Yeah. Well, yeah, well, you 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 end this letter with a query. Mm -hmm. And uh it's one that I think a lot of people have. And I want to say as humbly as I possibly can, that I think I have the answer you seek.
1: Oh boy. Well,
0: why don't you read the query and then give me my (laughs) answer? I will. (laughs) I will. And I'll just, you know, just to lay out the letter, you you talk about just what we were talking about, that your friend yeah. had a car run into his office and the insurance company's screwing him over daily, and this is a story for our times and represents what's going on. And that's your letter has a lot of that. You talk about how you are so upset about the harmful and irrational behaviors, as you
1: put it. Yeah, outraged.
0: Yeah, yeah outraged. Mostly from the right, but from the left too. Yeah. And about how the you know, corporate money interests run the country and so forth. And you talk about how you would like to reach for compassionate understanding and right action, you know, as we talked about post-outrage in the past. But as you say, it doesn't feel quite deep enough. Right. And then here's your last paragraph, which I found very touching and very beautiful. And one I deal with too, and I think a lot of people do. But here's, here's what you say. You say... Of course, you're doing psychotherapy, you're seeing clients mostly on Zoom now, whatever. You say, I'm mostly stable at teal and turquoise, helping my clients at whatever cosmic address they occupy. But I find it much more difficult when considering the larger social struggles. It's as if a primitive part of me wants war so I can attack and defeat enemies, while the mature part of me wants to turn enemies into allies even brothers and sisters. I can do this on the local individual level, but keep struggling with it on a larger cultural level. I objectify and attack individuals, institutions, and groups, knowing I'm objectifying them, knowing that it is not the most beautiful, good, or true reaction. I feel like I'm missing something that's just on the edge of awareness. I love that. I feel like I'm missing something that's just in the edge of awareness. Maybe Friday we could talk about this and your ideas of how to move forward, time of change. What do you think? Much love, Keith. So there you go. Help me out, Jeff. <laughs> All right, I will. I'll, I'll do my best. All right? So if I could jump, before I get into the answer, okay. Uh, I'll, I want to go back in your letter just a couple paragraphs where you talk about... How integral consciousness manifests, I was reading it thinking, these are the three noble truths of integral, right? Ah, You know, so you say, one, we are ignited by a vision of enlightened existence. Two, we find practices and teachers that guide us incrementally in this vision. And then we progress developmentally, eventually expanding and transforming our worldview. So let me just use those as sort of a structure for my response. First of all, I would question your first one in this way. Yes, we are ignited by a vision of enlightened existence, but we don't want to get too specific. You know? We're ignited by the reality of evolutionary growth. We know not where, actually. And point. we got to be careful. It'd be like asking a 10-year-old what their vision of an enlightened world would be or, or or what their best life will be. Mm-hmm. And when I was 10, it would have been having whatever I want out of the Sears catalog. <laughs> I mean, literally, I would... Think oh I went Mediterranean no I went early American uh, you Who's know done so- that I mean that actually works <laughs> oh yeah I've done this so yeah I think the vision of enlightened existence is that there is a growth towards goodness truth and beauty is, yeah. and often by means of their opposites actually it's the strangest thing but this is how God set it up I don't approve but here we are so yes then we find teachers and practices to guide us absolutely which is mostly in a way about deconstructing the worldview we have at any given moment. So we can move from 8 to 10 to 18 to 24 and actually include more. And that's your sort of last point. As you say, we develop developmentally, expanding and transforming our worldview. And so all of that's good, except that I think there's a fourth noble truth. And that is that we not only want to expand our Worldview, but we want to include. So this is the engine of evolution: include and transcend. But we want to include. In the case that you're talking about, where you talk about the personal and p- political and the systems and the outrage, we want to include the worldviews of our political enemies. We actually do. And what I'm doing right now is I'm not sure I'm including their world. I I, I am, but mostly I'm deconstructing my progressive worldview these mm. days. I can't buy it anymore. Even the thing about the insurance companies, the pharma, all of it. There's not just one story about that. There's a, there's a true story. The progressive story is true, but believing it in the way that we've come to think that we have to believe it is inhibiting our growth now. So it's true but partial. It's true saying. but partial. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And the And the partial part is the part that doesn't include the truth of the competing worldviews? I think at least that's one way to move
1: forward. So, so first so of even, all, I really like that. And uh, synchronistically, there was a lecture that Becky and I listened to on Bulletproof Radio, of all things, uh, with Doctor uh, interview of uh, Osprey and Doctor Robert Rowan. Doctor Robert Rowan is uh, a pioneer of alternative methods of working with infection and viruses. And two of the main methods that have been validated widely by science are taking blood and subjecting it to ultraviolet light. And the second one is using ozone. And uh, this guy, Dr. Robert Rowan, went to Sierra Leone and cured the patients using the ozone blood treatment. And a guy back in the in the 30s had a company where he was curing people of hepatitis, see, using, taking the blood out and putting ultraviolet light on it. Okay. And then this guy, Dr. Rob Barone, is a real thing. And he, he has used this in a wide variety of areas. The reason that the ultraviolet thing stopped in 1950 was two things. One, they had antibiotics. And two, the person who started the AMA, Dr. Martin Morris Fishbite, went to the person who'd started, uh, not the person who started the company that was building the machines for uh, ultraviolet and say, give me a part of your p- company or I'll ruin you. He apparently did that with a number of companies. And he, the guy said no, and he ruined them. Fast forward, Robert Rowan, when the COVID hit, he got a series of studies, put it together, and sent it to Mike Pence's office saying, look, there are alternative uh, treatments for the virus that might be quite effective. Three or four days later, Trump says, we should in- inject, you bleach, okay, well, As it turns out, one of the treatments, actually, the body produces hydrogen peroxide, which is an antibacterial. And people have had effects with hydrogen peroxide back in the 20s and 30s. And he said, we should use light. He must have, have, somebody must have mentioned this to him. And so he, you know, did his processing. And I thought, okay, so Trump's actually heard something that might be effective. He he has a non-scientific approach. So he somebody gives him something something that intuitively feels. He doesn't have the inhibitions that that anybody else. Scientists have incredible inhibitions about saying anything like that. Trump has no no filter, but he was trying to help. And the two things he was referencing actually have a lot of a lot of antecedents. I've used ozone myself on various occasions, uh, particularly for. Uh, uh, some uh, back issues that I had, and I'm, I've studied the research, and it's very persuasive. Okay, I thought, okay, so Trump was trying to help, and everybody just ridiculed him because he lies all the time because he's impulsive. But he heard some data, and he wanted to put it out, yeah. and that was him trying to help. Yeah, thought, Donald oh. Trump is trying to help. Yeah, so that, uh, that's what I forget when I'm yes, out there.
0: Yes, yes. I mean, you and I talked about this before, that when one side, progressives and traditionalists, you know, this is the contours of the culture war. Yeah. When they see bias in the other side, I think from an integral perspective, we can see that it's not bias in the way that they see it. It's actually, what we're talking about is, even though, you know, it's hard to see, is that both sides are actually telling the truth. From their worldview. From their worldview. Exactly. And they're operating in good faith to the degree. Here's the hard part, Jeff. They're op- Well, here's the thing. Here's the differentiation. They're operating in good faith to the degree that they're trying to make the world a better place by their lights, a better okay. world for their grandchildren. Mitch McConnell, Dick Cheney, all of them, are okay. really want that. Okay. Trump's a category of his own. I'll set him aside for a second, but okay. they all want that. And yet they're operating in bad faith to the degree that they're willing to take whatever means necessary to make their vision happen. Yeah, there you okay? go. Okay, that's true of the left too. That's what I'm beginning to realize as I pop out of the progressive delusion that I think I've been in, honestly. So how is it
1: true of the, of the left? Tell me out here. Well, he,
0: here's, here's an example. I just finished last night the book Hate Incorporated by oh. Matt Tiabi, who is the political correspondent for Rolling Stone magazine. And he's in the you know, tradition of Hunter Thompson, very you know, liberal and, you know, and all that good stuff. But he wrote a book that is remarkably even-handed. Here's how I'm sorting this out for myself, Keith, is that I don't want to listen to the liberal progressive point of view as espoused by liberals anymore. I don't. And I don't want to, especially don't want to hear the critique of the right by liberals. I want to hear the critique of the left by lefties and the right by righties. And here is, so Matier becomes along and he writes this book about how, you know, actually the political system is working. If you consider that there are tens of thousands of people who are making very good livings off of peddling outrage. That's right. Peddling hate. And he got a lot of, trouble because he put on the cover of his book, Sean Hannity and Rachel Maddow, two opposing pictures. And I agree with him. He says, she does the exact same segments Hannity does in reverse. Those dumb Republicans sure have made a terrible political miscalculation this time. Tune in to find out how the GOP court's disaster confusion with its rush to implement a tax bill or Trump's emergency declaration could backfire and force Republican cooperation with the Dems. The Republican crusade against Adam Schiff could make them laughingstocks. The last sentence hits me between the eyes. He says, these are all essentially professional partisans. And I think we have been co-opted. And uh, and again, the system's working for them, just as it's worked for Trump. I mean, Trump knows that people can't not look at a fight. So the fight itself becomes the thing. And I feel like that's happening with the media too. And, you know, so the more outrageous the things they say, the more attention they get, the higher their Q scores, their ratings, the more money they make, the higher their profile in the culture. And I just feel like we're all being played by Trump and them at this point.
1: The thing that you said that really kind of rang a bell just now was I want to see the left deconstruct the, the left and the right deconstruct the right. Yep. You know, when you're working with a couple, couples are always super happy to deconstruct each other. Yep. You know, I, 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 I swear every day of my professional existence, there'll be one or two, you know, about 30 or 40% of my practice as couples. Inevitably, I have such clarity about where you're messed up and what's wrong, and what you need to change so that everything would be better. And when the couples start going, I need to focus on what I can change to make me better and us better. That's when the couples start making that qualitative shift from misery into bliss. Yes. Um, And so, as above, so below. And so what that means, it's our job, because we're progressives, basically. Me too. And so that means that from an integral perspective, my job is to help everybody deconstruct themselves including the progressives I guess yes but that means I need to deconstruct that in me yes And this is where it's hard Jeff it's very I mean I have a I have a moral protest against a couple of things okay I have a moral protest about a blatant lie I feel like someone's doing violence to me personally when they lie to me you know they just tell me something that just isn't very you know isn't true okay And as far as blatant lies go, um, there's there's so much less cognitive dissonance on the right. And so there's a lot more blatant lies that I've experienced from the right than I've I've seen a lot of of distortions from the left. But there's there's cognitive dissonance in progressives if they really think that they're verifiably wrong. Rachel Maddow is a good example of that. Super self-righteous. But, you know, you show her data that she's wrong, she'll shift her position. Okay, so that shifts me over into the right wrong. And then the the second thing is I have enough green in me that when a decision is made or a position is taken that's gonna, from my perspective, is gonna cause suffering for people, I get moral outrage and I go, that's so wrong. And the instinct, of course, is to attack it. And whenever you attack, and then you see this with couples too, whenever you attack another person, what are you doing? You're completely denying their positive side you're denying their positive motivation, you're amplifying the, the negative aspects to be definitive of their character and of their intent. And those are all predictable distortions. When people are involved in a conflict, I see it with couples, but you see it with almost anybody. You have a conflict with somebody, you're identifying them by their worst side, making a global negative judgment about one negative thing. And so here I had to go doing the exact same thing, as you said.
0: Yeah, I do it too. And it's Trump. He's making all of us do it. You know, he has a world wrestling federation kind of character that he is, you know, comes out and this is where we're at in the culture war. And I actually think that could be fruitful as we differentiate and integrate as a culture. And but that's a whole other story. We've talked about that. Actually, let me say this other thing about how one determines that. I'm not as interested anymore in either side's factual story, because we're in a world now where there is enough information. It's the law of the infinite cornucopia. I used to talk yeah, about yeah, this. Yeah,
1: I, I, I have that on my wall. A wall of something ski. You know, yeah. yeah, exactly. Some philo- yeah, Polish, was, Polish philosopher. I yeah, put it on a wall in my, in my office upstairs. The, yeah. the law of the infinite cornucopia, you can get data to support anything. Exactly. We have enough facts now at our disposal
0: that we can create a factual argument to create anything we want. And so I'm less interested in that. I think we need to move into a trans-fact consciousness. That is one that includes facts. I think facts are important, and we'll continue to get better facts as we continue to grow. But there's a bigger consciousness that wants to come online. That just wants to fucking exhale about these factual arguments. Or because all right, are, I get they're, you. They're
1: being used to support. Yes. To, to critique the other, and not to to not deconstruct. Not to live for deeper truth in ourselves. Exactly.
0: And actually, the deeper truth is you know, what happens after that exhale, which yeah. is where you let them all in and you let these other worldviews in, even magic. I mean, we can do the whole you know, first tier, but we do let them all in and give them some space to breathe and you know, listen to each other in ways that we hadn't before and you know, drop this solidity of defense that we just so
1: reflexively have. You know, almost all the the descriptions of second-tier functioning that people have had and the experiences that we've all had when, when, you know, basically, you know, you you do this enough, you have spent a lot of your time at a second-tier consciousness doing whatever you're doing. They involve the inadequacy of language, the reflexive understanding that there's always alternative and multiple perspectives the good sense of deconstructionism, the truth is flexible and relative and that the current perspective is just this and will change as time passes. That's a felt understanding. It's not a cognitive belief system solely. Now in that moment, what my outrage doesn't disappear, but it becomes one of many factors that I'm taking into account. Because I'm always gonna be outraged when someone does something that hurts another person where they, it, it seems like is unnecessary suffering but it doesn't have to hijack my consciousness. Uh, Well, and that's
0: the other point that you make is that, you know, so, you know, what did you say that, that you have to stand up against suffering. And what I've come to realize is that the right has an argument about lessening suffering too. And the right, is afraid that the left is shooting holes in the lifeboat of capitalism. And this thing that has created the most material plenty. Now, they have all kinds of blind spots about that. But there's a basic truth to that. And we've seen it play out in the COVID thing, where the left is far more sensitive to the health consequences, the suffering of the people on the front line, all of this sort of thing. And the right's more sensitive to the economy shutting down. Right. And the, the, the consequences deal. of that. It's a very big deal. And both sides, you know, they magnetize to their poles on that, but they both have a piece of the truth that the other's missing or downplays or poo poos.
1: You know, something that I've been enjoying, and, and I, I think from, a, from just a, a dynamic standpoint, practically speaking, something I've always been interested in is the Northern European countries, okay? Northern European countries have reactionary right-wing people that are in active dialogue and sometimes conflict with reactionary left-wing people. There's a larger construct that doesn't let either one of them take charge. For instance, you know, the way that Sweden and Finland are to a certain extent competing in terms of different rules around the COVID crisis. Now, Finland required shelter in place, required people to follow rules, it was a requirement, and they have one-sixth the amount of deaths of Sweden. Sweden said we made it voluntary and they're doing okay, but they have six times more deaths than, than Finland, and it's a big debate, and not the least of which the immigrant communities in Sweden are the ones that are suffering the most for various reasons, poverty and, and that kind of stuff. So there's a lively debate, but there seems to be a larger structure where where one side or the other can't be ascendant. Kind of like the, you know, the Federation in Star Trek. And this is the first time I've ever, I've ever thought this, and I think it's been stimulated by what you've been saying. I've always thought that when we get that to that point, that there won't be that conflict between the extreme amber, orange, and extreme green. And now I'm, I'm thinking, actually, what I want is a container where that conflict can happen, but that neither one of them can take over the container. Oh. No. And I, I think that's that's actually a better container for evolution than because yep. right now in the United States is kind of one side takes over the container and then you know they they say now we're gonna make it we're gonna make the, the try to remake the country through our worldview and then another side takes over, the Obamas take over and they wanna remake the country. I wish there was a larger container where neither one of them could take over. And the, the container involved just the basic things that we all at least consciously believe that, you know, individual rights, capitalism, you know, all the things, you know, free enterprise, you know, all the things that everybody agrees on, really. I never thought that before that that's what I want. I want a container and I know that they'll happen. And I, you know, and I would still disagree mostly with with the right. But I really get what you're saying because, you know, what? I'll, I'll watch Rachel Maddow for two minutes now and turn it off. Yeah. Well, here's, here here's, let me respond a little bit. There's
0: the, first of all, I do think that progressive is better than traditional in many ways. Fundamentally, it has a bigger circle of compassion. Yes. There's yeah. a bigger circle of people who are in, worthy of moral consideration, They're world-centric, not just nation-centric, not just tribal, not just racial, you know, that sort of thing. So that's better than mm-hmm. traditionalism. And I'll go down, you know, fighting for that. In terms of Scandinavian countries, I think one of the things that evolution and integral thinking can t- show us is they're probably a half, to a half to a full step ahead of us Yeah, in the right. United States in terms of center of gravity. Yeah. It was not so easily won either, if you look at the 20th century, Western Europe. The second thing is that the idea of one side winning, I, don't, I think actually we're there in our way, actually. There's nothing necessarily wrong with lurching one f- left foot and then lurching to the right foot and yeah right. like, lumbering forward that way it's again it's never pretty but that? you know we do have a better society and and even and I hate to say this this is this I mean I may want to edit this out but <laughs> you know even Trump <laughs> you know aside from the fact that he's an odious narcissistic vulgarian I'm not sure exactly. How bad he is! Would you look at, you know, peace, yeah, criminal justice, that. the one thing I really like about animal it. cruelty, you know, family, even socialism. <laughs> you know, he's about to sign off at probably four trillion dollars before this is all over of, oh, of, of flowing from the government to the people. That is, and, you know, we'll argue about how that all went and we'll sort that out. But right. you know. I mean, that's $4 trillion. A, a, a lot
1: of that's going to go to the people. That's true.
0: Yeah. I mean, I don't know. I mean, again, I, can, I hear the argument from the right that this is going to make people lazy and they're going to expect the government and all of the fears. Legitimate. This is where we lefties have to let that in. There actually is a moral cost to free riding Yeah. that we have to be aware of, that the left is, you know, it's like, write the checks. You know socialism—that the
1: right actually has something to say there. Well, yeah, and you can see that that in Greece and in, uh, in Italy, where their economies are going to hell. Okay. Yeah. Why? Because green people got to give people a lot of stuff, and they didn't—they didn't tune up the economies to the extent that the economies could support what everybody was given away. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So we don't want that to. Have. You know, another thing about this, you know, I've been thinking about what, you know, John Wellwood wrote a beautiful piece about spiritual bypassing many years ago, this kind of the signature piece about spiritual bypassing. And he did he did it in the context of Buddhist communities. But I think about it in terms of me and my friends and all everyone, all evolutionaries essentially. And it goes back to what you said about include, the include part of include and transcend. That for me, it's not okay for me, it's spiritual bypassing for me to deny the part of me that wants to go to war. Someone who's acting badly. Okay, you know, that part of me needs acknowledgement. It's the healthy red part of Keith when it's healthy. And what, what I haven't had with this in a larger level, I'm okay with that on a local level. But on a larger level, the, what you're saying Particularly, the 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 idea of the left should be deconstructed, the left, the right should be deconstructed, and the sense of a larger container where this thing can go on. And and I think you know, you I got to say, you're right. I mean, you know, the Bill of Rights still has existence, the Constitution still has existence, the courts still have existence. Law, totally. You know, you know, maybe Trump can ignore rule of law for totally. the next yes, year, yes. five years. But, you know, rule of law is still going to kind of prevail, even though, and, and yeah, there's been racism and Jim Crow and the legacy of slavery and trauma and all that other stuff. Yes. That's, but, where, know, the, that's where the revolution. left's right.
0: The, the critique of, of America is correct yeah, from the so left. Evolution is messy, like you said. Yes. And also the, I, I hate to say triumphalist, but, you know, the greatness of America, the goodness of America, is, that's, that's where the right wants to hang out. But they're both true. And actually, could we be big enough to breathe both of those babies in? Well, I want to. So here's,
1: Gratitude and reason, grievance. The reason that I, one of the reasons that, this, that I sent you that letter is somebody asked me to do a workshop last Sunday on mastery. Okay, well, I'm very interested in mastery for a variety of reasons. Well, you're a master. That's why. You,
0: <laughs> I mean, you're the best practitioner and master of what you are practicing that I've ever met. Uh, you and Tom Curran.
1: Uh. <laughs> thank you anyway well that's you know, I'm embarrassed. so so i was as i was i was teaching this group and borrowing from one of the best books on this, this is the talent code by uh daniel uh Coyle. and that's where some of these ideas come from you know ignition and master coaching and so on and one of the characteristics of mastery is that there's a larger framework from which that guides you and so what master coaches do are what you're doing today with me. From that larger framework, there's little pushes that, that you provide, little specific corrections that guide the process. And the process that I, I want is exactly what you described. I want to continue the conditions out of which the new Keith consciousness will arise. And, and I'm realizing as you talk that, that that means I can't be too invested in the old Keith consciousness that wants to go to war. And so this thing now about the, de- con- the left deconstruct, the, the left, r- the right deconstruct, the right. Okay, that kind of turns a lot of things upside down for me in a good way. And so I just, I'm, I keep mentioning yeah. it because I like it so much. Yeah. And so I think, so the kind of mastery that I want, I'm, that I'm hungering for is not just self-transforming mind, it's, it's self-transforming mind where when this stuff comes up, it's not in conflict in me anymore. It has a place to go. You know, the part of me that wants to go to war has a place to go that's a good, that's a coherent place with everything else. And I, and I honestly, guy do think that there's certain worldviews that need external constraint before they cooperate. Of course. So what? Yeah,
0: yeah. well, actually, the one you're talking about, Red, you know, there that's you the one that wants to go to war. Now, we actually want Red to, you know, maintain itself through the, in the integral you know, we want to bring back red in an enlightened warrior, which is one of the things you've practiced all these years with your martial arts and so forth. You mean, you know that it's funny, Keith, you talk about it in your letter. I don't know if I could find it offhand here, but you talk about how this is happening for you in two areas. One is personal and one is political. And you're actually pretty good at the personal. I agree. You know, I think you really work with all these energies personally, actually, you know, extremely well certainly better than I do I'm a mess but politically
1: (laughs) not a mess Jeff you're great
0: well politically integrating these energies it's not easy especially to the degree that you're plugged into
1: the hate machine you know the outrage machine you know I was talking to to a guy who was born in Austria uh, yesterday and he said something that, that was interesting to me um, so, you know, he's, he's a progressive, and so he's a doctor, and so most doctors are, are somewhat appalled by the lack of a coherent r- response. He said, for so many years, America was the stabilizing force that we all look to. And I thought to myself, okay, so we're talking about 60 years really, where at least psychologically, America was a stabilizing force in the world for individual rights, human rights, democracy. And I'm thinking, okay, so maybe it's, you know, I'm, they're feeling some pity for the US citizenry now, but 60 years of being that in the world, that's pretty impressive. You know, I'm, I went, wow. That was a little window of the yeah. European attitude towards, towards that part of, of the United States. And I thought, yeah, that's the best of the United States. And with a lot of stupid mistakes, the United States has yes. done a pretty good job doing that. I don't know what'll happen in the future. But Well, I mean, you know,
0: what you're talking about for the last, you know, since World War II, well, Europe was in rubble. So we were the only game in town now in Japan too. And now, you know, we have this whole modern world. We don't need to be in that. Why would we be in that position anymore, any more than anybody else? And there's something that's true about Trump's attitude of, you guys take care of yourselves.
1: There's truth to that. Yeah, and stop complaining about us, you know? Another interesting thing you mentioned in World War II, Japan has the lowest CO2 output of its existence, and Germany has been the poster child for the enlightened response to COVID and keeping their economy in. So these two countries that were in rubble, I know. and these countries that ha- all suffered fascism, and have risen, and now they 're coming in, and they're leaders, you know that we 're comparing ourselves and looking to them now, I like that well yeah. okay, I would love to have people more enlightened and more more powerful psychologically or, or materially. It will never be militarily for a long time, but, but it, philosophically yeah. uh, that really supports world centric unity thinking, yeah. certainly it, it does for me. Um, You know, the whole American exceptionalism, I think, is in all of us to some extent. I think that's got deconstructed a little bit, seeing these superior responses in in different parts of the
0: world. Well, could we notice that America didn't conquer the defeated enemies? That's like first in history, you know, basically. The
1: Marshall Plan. Didn't ask for
0: reparations. Actually, we rebuilt because the world had gotten into a modern mentality at that point. The tr- all these traditional triumphalist stories about my race or the master class or all of the shit that brought us World War II was completely discredited. And uh, and modern people don't see any value in war. They actually, I'm going to rebuild you or help you get on your feet so we can trade.
1: and we can, right, so, you, so you'll, you'll become be friends. friends. You know, that's, that's kind of the best of capitalism. We we used the Marshall Plan in Europe, and then we used MacArthur creating a constitutional democracy in Japan. We're going to turn you guys into customers. Yes, exactly. (laughs) Fair enough. (laughs) Yes. And there's a
0: pernicious side to that. There's an ignorant side to that. But there's a very fruitful side to that. And, you know, as long as we keep a free communication, I think we'll continue to froth our way forward. But again, it's,
1: you know, not pretty. This is pretty. You know, you're, when you, you're talking to me, your are reflection. Becky and I were walking on the beach uh, today, and we were talking about this. You know, because, you know, I knew we were going to have the conversation. And Becky said something that, you know, she's been my best teacher ever. She's one of those brilliant, you know, saintly people that go through life. And only a few <laughs> people are brilliant and saintly there. And she said, I think that there's a consciousness around the world. I'm feeling it. The, the people that I was listening to, Dr. Robert Rowan, as you're talking, where people are saying, I'm uncomfortable with simple, simplistic, black and white, right, wrong. There's a larger set of perspectives. And there's people out there that intuitively would, lots of people that I respect, if they were in this conversation, a lot of people in Europe, a lot of people in the United States, they go, yes, they would be agreeing with us. Um, I think there's a lot of politicians, if they're in this conversation, they go, yeah, you know, and the reason that I'm not deconstructing the left is because of this. They have, would have a reason, The reason I'm not deconstructing the right. But they, but they, would, have, they would have some of this, this forward-thinking consciousness of let's keep trying to make it better for, yep. for ourselves and for everybody, and, and something good is going to happen, something unexpected, something yes, maybe Yes, absolutely.
0: We don't know where we're going but we can trust that it's going to be, uh, we're going to ugly our
1: way to something more beautiful. You know, you know, in a way it's easier to predict a disaster than a triumph in this area. Yeah. Because a disaster totally. can, be fallen, can can be all the old forms. Cause yes. we have, we have exemplars for every kind of disaster. Okay. Including plagues. We really don't have forms for new consciousness. Yeah. New consciousness by its very nature doesn't exist in the collective yet. Those tracks yep. are just beginning to be laid down by by outliers. And what yes. we want in integral to be those outliers laying down tracks, hopefully, that will make it easier for other people to deepen those tracks. Absolutely. And
0: part of that has to include, you know, what you just said about disasters and the fundamental truth that the whole thing's a fucking disaster. <laughs> you know? I mean, we live in a world, and again, I don't approve of this, but we live in a world that is at best unsatisfactory. Yeah. And at worst, it's the torment of innocence. I mean, Jesus Christ, where do we begin?
1: Where is that book, Full Catastrophe Living? Yes,
0: yes, yes. So, I mean, our resistance to that reality, and I resist it. I don't want to not resist it, but I, I get that that sets off this whole cascade of this shouldn't be happening. It's awful that it is. I can't stand it. And somebody has to be blamed and condemned. And I'm bored with it. I'm bored the fucking death with it.
1: So, okay, Jeff. So what is it for you? What's your sense of the emergent consciousness? What's your sense of it?
0: Yeah. Well, a lot of it is just a sense of openness and, and excitement and wow, you know, and not knowing. I'm glad that when I was 14, I didn't get to decide what I was going to be when I was 16 or 18. I didn't, I had no way of knowing, or 60, you know, but it's going to be something. It's going to be good. And, and I see this in the world. I mean, I see the other part too. And, you know, I look around even in the integral world, Keith, you know, and there's people, the world is unraveling. And how about the world is raveling? It's both, <laughs> you know. Uh, the, the world's rebellion. gone nuts. Well, it's, compared to what? Compared to the 14th century? Compared to
1: 1968? Compared, you know, whatever. It is it's interesting. You mentioned you were 14. <laughs> I, I just did a talk with uh, Corey on adolescence, and when I gave that talk on adolescence, it reminded me. And Kenneth said this forever. Everybody has to be born and grow through the same stages. Yes, and. And, you know, that's just going to keep happening. And yes, so as and long as that's happening, then, and, you know, and it keeps going on through adulthood, it's going to always be messy to some yes. extent.
0: Well, and that happens collectively, too. And I would put humanity, you know, we're maybe in our early 20s, yeah, uh, yeah. It's, it's center of gravity. There are, of course, people who are spiking uh, mm-hmm. all kinds of places, and they're lagging edges to that too, where cultures that are twelve and nine.
1: Yeah, I'd say uh, we're in our last stage of adolescence, maybe about twenty-three. Yeah, yeah you know, the last stage of adolescence, something is like that. Yeah. yeah,
0: and so I may have said this to you before, but th- there's a certain scandal to integral, How
1: and so? that is that we see
0: we we see ourselves, uh, I think rightly, as a parental. I mean, oh, yeah. it's like when I look at the media landscape, I could either get depressed and outraged or I could just view it the way I would look at an eighth grade playground.
1: You know I gotta say when i'm in when I'm in that consciousness, and for me, that consciousness is my most mature consciousness it's It's where I spend most of my time doing psychotherapy, certainly, but when I observe the world and it's a different flavor of consciousness than my outraged consciousness i mean. Outrage to me when I'm in the parental mode is an entirely different experience. And this I think this is another insight that's coming to me from this conversation. That, that some, the, the part of me that wants to go to war, it will pull me out of that. It's like a grown-up having a power struggle with your four-year-old. Okay, There's actually two kids there. If, they, if the grown-up goes back into the parent, it's not a power struggle anymore. It's something else. And I think, at least for me, I need to embrace that. A good parent is not right all the time, but a good parent is responsible all the time. Yeah. In other words, when I'm in that mode, and maybe and other people will be more right than me, fine. Okay? A good parent will, sh- will change their perspective. But they never give up their responsibility to be a good parent. And I think that's it. I think that there's a part of me that wants angrily to give up my responsibility to be a good parent. And I'm realizing I don't have that right. You know, I I will not allow Keith the right to give up. You know, I might, I might neglect that responsibility, but if I am, I'm making a mistake because my personal principle is, that's my job, and that's our job. It's our job to stay there. Yeah, and I actually think that we can
0: extend that a little bit to even a grandparently role, which is a little less neurotic (laughs) than a parent role. You know, a parent actually has to. Well, a parent has to decide who's right. You know, A or B. And a grandparent says, "You know, let me know when you're bleeding."
1: Yeah, you know. I'll support everybody.
0: <laughs> yeah, or they'll listen to both and just sort of give them a cookie. But uh,
1: <laughs> well, look, let let that be let that be the cherry on the cake of this trinket pundit. we yeah. they were struggling all to be good grandparents. Yes, okay. that's all. I that see. might be reflection of you know the integral movement aging out. But I don't think so. <laughs> I, think, I, I think that might only be a part of it.
0: Yeah. Well, I think it's terribly arrogant, but I still—I mean—I'll take the scandal of claiming that, because otherwise, I'm just you know bouncing around with my own clubs and bombs, and I don't want to. I'm tired of it.
1: Well, you know, Jeff, I'm a pretty discerning person, and you're the person that I wanted to help me with this. So <laughs> that tells you something about about your status, at least in my consciousness. Yeah. About- being you know, a master coach for me, it helped uh, take me further around this.
0: So you were well. Thank you, Keith. That that's something. I mean, it, it's astonishing to learn something at our age from each other.
1: Uh-huh. And, well, hopefully uh, we'll keep doing it, Jeff. Uh,
0: exactly, as I have done many times from you, and and my listeners have. You, you know, people love you,
1: uh-huh. and I do too. And I love you, Jeff.
0: Yeah. All right. Well, I think that's a good cherry on top. That's a good cherry on top. Much love to everybody. Much love, everybody. You can see my stuff at dailyevolver.com, drkeithwitt.com. That's right. And uh, we'll see you next time on another episode of The Shrink and The Pundit.